This is Mark Halleck, and welcome to the Leading Church Revitalization Podcast. This podcast is designed to encourage and equip you for the work of leading church revitalization in your context. I really hope and pray you will be helped and you'll be encouraged and you might even be a little bit inspired in our time together. Because here's the truth, there's a lot of churches people have given up on that God is just not done with. So thanks for coming by and let's link arms together to replant and revitalize churches for the glory of God and for our joy in Him. Last two episodes, we have talked about the importance of strategically raising up leaders in your church. Today, I want to key in on the two most critical leadership positions in any church, those of pastor and deacon. And when I use the word pastor, I'm using the word pastor, elder, overseer interchangeably. One of the biggest issues that we see in dying and declining churches is a lack of leadership. We've already talked about that. Who is in charge? It can get pretty messy. Individuals who should not be in leadership are, and those who might be more qualified leaders aren't. Leadership is crucial to the health of the church, especially as the church seeks to move forward into the future as a vibrant congregation that's reaching the community with the gospel. Where we must start with this conversation is where we must start everywhere, and that's with the Word of God. The Bible clearly lays out for us the two primary offices of leadership that the Lord has ordained to lead the local church. One is that of pastor, elder, and the second is that of deacon. Churches are led most effectively when pastors and deacons are working together. First, let's look at the connection between these two offices and how the Lord created them to work together. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, we read this. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, you can see there are growing pains here in the early church, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, here in Acts 6, a need has arisen, and the elders, the pastors, the leaders, they need help. This distinction between meeting physical needs and focusing on the spiritual needs, like prayer and the ministry of the word, is the distinction between the deacon and the elder. It goes on, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith." That's Acts 6, verses 5 through 7. Now, we see here a beautiful picture of the first deacons coming on the scene to work alongside the spiritual leaders in order to better care for the needs of the congregation. It's critical that our church leadership is biblical. If it's going to be effective, we must understand how these two roles are distinct from one another 
and yet at the same time how they work together. Certain convictions are non-negotiable for both pastors and deacons if our whole leadership team is going to function in a healthy biblical way. Let me just make note of a few of these distinctions, but these shared convictions that are especially important. So there's three non-negotiable commitments that I would lay out here. Number one is a plurality of leadership. In his book, Biblical Eldership, Alexander Strauch points out, it is a highly significant and often overlooked fact that our Lord did not appoint one man to lead his church. He personally appointed and trained 12 men. Jesus Christ gave the church plurality of leadership. A church should not rest content with just one pastor or one deacon. That's so important to make note of. In the Bible, in fact, there's always a plurality. I would just encourage you to look at Acts 6, 3-6, Acts 14, verse 23, Philippians 1, 1, James 5, 14, among other passages. This means that if we only have one elder or deacon right now, we need to be intentionally praying for and raising up additional qualified pastors and deacons. On the importance of plurality in both of these offices, Brian Croft writes this. He says, although not explicitly stated by Paul to Timothy, it is consistently applied all throughout the New Testament that there is to be more than one elder and deacon in each local church. Other than the passages that describe the qualifications of an elder or deacon, there are numerous examples of both these offices serving with other qualified men sharing the responsibilities, not to mention the burdens and responsibilities of these two offices are too great for one man to carry alone. Brian Croft is exactly right. And this gets at the very heart of why I believe the Lord has designed church leadership to work in plurality. Because we can't do this alone. One pastor can't do this. One deacon can't do this. We need a team of leaders. Here's number two, a shared commitment to personal and spiritual growth. Pastors and deacons must continually seek to grow, to mature. At no point have we arrived. As John Piper has prayed, banish professionalism from our midst, O God, and in its place put passionate prayer, poverty of spirit, hunger for God, rigorous study of holy things, white-hot devotion to Jesus Christ, utter indifference to all material gain, and unremitting labor to rescue the perishing, perfect the saints, and glorify our sovereign Lord. We need to grow as passionate worshipers of the Lord in our own personal lives, because we can't give what we don't have. We also need to be individuals who love the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and are committed and growing in the Word of God. We want to be leaders who are not only growing in our own discipleship, but also committed to community, to connecting with and discipling other believers and young leaders. We need to be men that are going to show and tell the gospel boldly through our lives, living on mission and seeking to build relationships with the lost and evangelize those who are far from Christ. Here's number three, strong family leadership. Strong family leadership is a biblical expectation for both elders and deacons. 1 Timothy 3, 4-5 says, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? 
These first verses speak of elders followed by deacons in 1 Timothy 3.12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. According to the Apostle Paul, if a man does not know how to manage his own family, then how could he manage the church? And it makes sense, doesn't it? If we can't lead our wives and our kids with humility and grace and love, we probably should not be leading a whole host of other families in the local church. The first flock for us is our own families. As Warren Wearsby writes, if a man's own children cannot obey and respect him, then his church is not likely to respect and obey his leadership. Listen, none of us are perfect in these ways. We need God's grace and the power of the Spirit to help us grow as husbands and to love our wives. It's the same thing with our children. We should want to be good dads, and we need God's grace and strength to do that. While we may not be perfect, we are seeking to grow in these areas with intentionality and teachable hearts. Now let's take a closer look at the pastor role, and then we'll look at the deacon role. Let's begin with the pastor. Once these key commitments are in place that we've just mentioned, the offices of pastor and deacon diverge. In fact, let's look at both of these. First, we're going to start with the biblical qualifications of the office of pastor. In 1 Timothy 1, 3-7, we see that the Apostle Paul lays out for Timothy the specific qualifications and expectations of this office. We read this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Paul has laid out specific qualifications and expectations of any man who would seek to serve in the role of pastor. Godliness must precede giftedness. Let me say that again. Godliness must precede giftedness. In many churches, the trend is to find gifted men and throw them into these positions. In the scriptures, however, it is godliness, humility, love for the Lord, love for family, and love for people that should be a foundation for anyone who might be considered to serve in the role of pastor. Let's look at some of the responsibilities of this office. We see the pastors are to be the primary spiritual leaders of the church in 1 Peter 5, 1-4. We read this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock." And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The picture of what a pastor is called to be is a shepherd. And we see this all through scripture. 
Just like shepherds in the ancient Near East cared for flocks of sheep, the pastor must shepherd the flock of God. But what does this look like practically? Let me just offer four primary functions of the biblical shepherd pastor. Number one, they must know the flock. In other words, we must know them well. We need to know their hurts. We need to know their pains. We need to know their temptations. Number two, we must lead the flock. We must lead them in the ways that they need to be led in their life. Number three, we must feed the flock. We must feed them the spiritual food that's going to nourish their souls. And then fourthly, we need to protect the flock. In other words, we must protect them from evil, from false teaching, from bad decisions, even providing uh, ways in which we can pr- protect children and, and, and others, women, from uh, physical pain and physical danger. So again, four primary functions of the biblical shepherd pastor, know the flock, lead the flock, feed the flock, and protect the flock. In order to be effective in the church, we need to practice these four functions at both the congregational and the individual levels. Now, many churches may do a good job at congregational level shepherding, in other words, shepherding the congregation as a whole, but they fall short when they have to shepherd at the individual level. Listen, the job of the pastor elder is to not just know the mass of people, but to know, care for, love, and shepherd individual members. Now, let's move on to the deacon. Again, remember, the elder and the deacon work hand in hand, according to Acts chapter 6. Let's first consider some of the biblical qualifications of a deacon. 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13 lays out some of these qualifications and expectations of the deacon. We read this. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things." Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There are certain very specific expectations and qualifications for being a deacon. Not just any individual should be thrown into this role, but sadly, when churches are dying or declining, it's very easy to say, well, we need somebody to serve. When we put unqualified individuals into the office of deacon, things can go south very quickly. We want to be clear about the expectations and the qualifications of a deacon, and also about their responsibilities. If they don't understand their role in the church, they will make up their own job descriptions. It happens all the time. Then, before we know it, we will have deacons doing all kinds of work or having all kinds of authority that they're not supposed to have, according to the Word of God. Now, let's consider for a moment four primary responsibilities of the deacons. In summary, I would say this, that the deacon is to be the lead servant, or the deacons, in a plural, are to be the lead servants of the church. They are to model for the church what it looks like to serve Jesus, whatever that looks like, and to serve others in a thousand different ways. They should be faithful, available, and teachable, ready to jump in and serve when needed. So let's look at four primary responsibilities. Number one, they are to assist the pastors. 
In Acts chapter 6, we see that one of the responsibilities of a deacon is to help the pastors care for and shepherd the flock. These opportunities will take shape in various ways depending on the need of the moment. Number two, they are to serve the congregation. As the primary servants of the church, deacons should utilize their spiritual gifts to pitch in wherever the need is greatest. Perhaps that will mean locking up the church or helping with VBS. Maybe it will involve cleanup after a potluck. Whatever service is spontaneously happening, look for deacons to be involved. Number three, help out with the worship gathering. Now, this may look different considering your church and what worship looks like on a Sunday morning, but often what this will look like is the deacons are responsible for preparing the Lord's table when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, perhaps helping with the offering, among other responsibilities, perhaps prayer or the reading of Scripture. Ultimately, they are called to help the pastors to assist with the worship gathering on Sunday mornings, however they can be of help. Finally, number four, deacons are to help lead the ministries of mercy. Let me tell you what I mean by that. This is simply caring for people in need. It's caring for the single mom, the widow and the orphan. Deacons care for and make sure the physical needs are being met for the hurting and the broken in your congregation. Biblical deacons are not the only servants of the church, but they are the lead servants of the church. And that's important to remember. Let me say that again. Biblical deacons are not the only servants of the church, but they are the lead servants of the church. And the Lord appoints these individuals to serve in this office. Both the pastor and the deacon have important roles. If you take either of these roles away, the church will not be as healthy as it should be. God has made the two offices with their distinctives to work together as a team to serve the church well. Well, not only is it important to clarify the roles and distinctives of various leaders in your church, but it's crucial that we plan to pour into our pastor, elders, and deacons beyond the initial on-ramp. This is why I want to lay out some strategies for the long-term development and care of the leaders in your church, specifically pastor elders and deacons. So number one, watch them over time. Watch their life. Watch their marriage and family. Watch how they interact with their wife and children. Watch their talk with God. Watch how they relate to both believers and non-believers. The clearest indicator of whether someone is qualified to serve in these offices is their character, which can't be seen in an instant. Number two, train them over time. As for all leaders, we need to develop a specific and strategic pathway or pipeline to address how we're going to develop pastors and deacons in our churches. Let me offer a brief picture of what we do in our church. For pastor elders, after we have watched these men over a period of time, we invite them to formally train. Our church has two formal training and testing periods. Phase one is what we call our elder exploration, which lasts about three to six months. This would be for those guys who honestly don't know if they want to be a pastor, but they're interested and, and want to find out more. These men in whom we have seen godly character and and we want to investigate what it would look like for them to serve. And so we've watched their life and we think there's great potential here with these guys. So for three to six months, we spend time talking about the basics of the elder role, the responsibilities and qualifications of the office. There's no pressure. We're deciding if this is an individual who could really pursue this. 
That's phase one, elder exploration. This leads to phase two, which is what we call elder candidacy. These are men who feel compelled to aspire to the office of elder that is laid out in the scriptures. And this potential call is confirmed by our pastor elders. Elder candidacy is a 12-month period where the candidates serve alongside our current pastors, watching them, getting experience shepherding individuals, and being part of our elders' meetings. We are training them up so that we can ultimately ordain them into ministry. This is an important phase. Over the course of that year, we're going to really get to know these guys and their families. At the end of this time, we will be able to discern if this man is ready. For the deacon, we have a year-long deacon-in-training program. This is also by invitation only. Those in the congregation who have already been observed to be faithful and servant-hearted are invited to be part of this process of learning to be a deacon. In this time, they learn about the call of deacon ministry, and they work together with other deacons, helping serve the needs of the church, helping with benevolence and other care issues, and being part of a deacon meeting once a month. If at the end of the year they are invited to become a deacon, they may or they may opt not to be part of the deacon ministry, and that's fine. Again, there's no pressure. This has to be a calling from the Lord. Then the final phase. In light of what happens during the previous preparation and training time, we then set apart new pastor elders and deacons and unleash them for ministry. Now, the congregation can observe that this is an individual has been set apart by God to serve this church. And so we formally ordain pastors, appointing them for the work of ministry and releasing them to serve, to pray, to preach, and to teach and shepherd the flock. We also ordain deacons, recognizing the call on their life to serve the church in this important office. So let me just review developing elders and deacons. Number one, watch them over time. Number two, train them over time. And then number three, have an ongoing care strategy. In many churches, this ends at the point of ordination, but it shouldn't. We must have a strategy to love, encourage, challenge, and shepherd them as well. How are your pastors and deacons being shepherded and cared for? How are they being challenged to grow in their walk with the Lord as leaders? You must have an intentional plan for the ongoing care, equipping, training, encouragement, and shepherding of each pastor deacon, and their families. It is so important to care for your elders and deacons. Many churches are dying because they fail to do this. Look, when leaders feel underappreciated and overworked, burnout is the inevitable result. We must be intentional about it, not relegate it to the back burner. This is critical to see churches come back to life. Well, I hope you'll join us next week, and perhaps this is an episode that you want to listen to with other potential pastor elders or deacons in your church. I would encourage you to do that. Pray and ask the Lord to help you raise up, to train up, and then to unleash the pastor elders and deacons that your church needs. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast today. Hey, as you continue to grow, I want to point you in the direction of a book called Leading Church Revitalization. This entire podcast is really built on and based on that book. You can pick it up at Amazon.com today. Also, check out acomapress.org. 
Acoma Press is committed to putting out resources to help encourage and equip you as a revitalizer or a replanter. It's also very committed to help equip congregations that are struggling and facing serious decline. And one last thing, I would love to stay in touch with you. So let's connect on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Any way I can serve you, I would love to do that. Man, I can't wait till we're together next time. Thanks so much for stopping by. God bless you all.